it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. Today is December 27th, and we're back with Barbara Shots for episode number 418, also known as Programming by Stealth, uh, episode 5 of X. Yes, indeedy, and we're getting ever closer to this CSS thing I keep teasing you with. Well, before we get too stuck in, I do want to mention, uh, if you haven't listened to the Novacella cast, or that might not even be out yet, hard to remember, I am at my sister-in-law's house, uh, my MacBook and Steve's MacBook Air decided to go belly up while I was trying to record, and so I am using my iPhone for Skype with my iPhone headphones, my iPad to follow along with the show notes, and Bart is doing the recording, so hope this works. Well, I, I, whatever you're using instead of the levelator will hopefully smooth out any glitches. I hope so. but uh, And I hope I don't let my headphones touch my scarf because it's also 62 degrees in this room and I'm freezing. So Yes, and for Europeans listening, that's Fahrenheit, not Celsius. So that's cold, not very, 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 very warm. <laughs> All right. Well, enough excuses. Let's get into some great content. Let's get going. I am loving the series. Let's go. Okay. So bef- basically what we're doing today is we're wrapping up the last of our first pass of HTML. And that's the groundwork laid then to move on to CSS. And then we're actually going to loop back around to some more HTML when we've got some CSS because the two are very tightly intertwined. So there is, there's going to be an over and back between the two. But anyway, so far we've learned about... The basic structure of an HTML page, we've learned about block-level tags like headings and paragraphs and lists, and then we've learned about inline tags like emphasis and strong and those kind of tags. And I did mention at the time that there were a couple of audible tags, and we're going to come across some of those today. So two things on the agenda. They are images, so sticking an image into an HTML page, and links. So in other words, a clickable link to go from one HTML page to another HTML page. And in order to understand both of these, we have a little bit of groundwork to lay, and then we can come back to the tags at the end. So the first thing we have to understand for either of these things to work is how a URL works. Because an image needs a URL to say where the image is, and a link needs a URL to know where to go. So URLs are central to this. And then the other thing is that so far, the HTML tags we've used have not had attributes. They've just been open bracket, name of tag, close bracket. But actually, HTML tags can take little sort of extra pieces of information that are called attributes. And so we need those this time as well, because we have to tell the image tag what URL the image is at. And we have to tell the link where it should go. So to do that, we need these attributes. So there are two little pieces of uh, foundation before we can do our two tags for the day. Okay. So Sounds simple enough. Well, it is, It is. but it's the kind of thing that I spent a fair bit of time on the show notes on because if you tie yourself in knots about URLs, you are just going to be in knots for the rest of this series because the internet hangs together by URLs. So this may be one to revisit if things get confusing. Okay, all right. So HTML is the hypertext markup language. So what makes text hyper? <laughs> right? Okay, I never thought about that. Right, so a normal text document has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So a book has a chapter one, or maybe a prologue, and then you read through it, and then you finish. The internet is not like that. There is no beginning of the internet, and there certainly is no end of the internet, and I don't think there's a middle either. Oh, I've seen that webpage. It says, this is the end of the internet, go outside and play. (laughs) That's true, actually. Um... The internet instead is a bunch of pieces of text that are linked together in a web. 
Well, that's what a hypertext is. It's linked pieces of text. And the whole point of the World Wide Web is this hypertext. And hypertext requires us to be able to say what's on the other end of a link. We need to have a way of addressing pieces of information that we're connecting together. So if you're on your computer, you know how to address a file by its file path. So maybe it's C colon my files my important essay.txt or on a mac forward slash users bar documents my important essay.txt or whatever so on our computers we have file systems for addressing things but the internet isn't on a computer the internet is on like millions of computers so we need to have an equivalent of that that we that works everywhere that can define where something is on the internet and that is called a uniform resource locator or url Okay. Why does it sometimes say URI? Ah, I was... Okay, well, I'm not going to put in the show You're really hoping I wouldn't ask that? (laughs) Well, not so much you wouldn't ask, but I don't want to confuse people. So a URI is a superset of a URL and a URN. (laughs) Right? All URLs URLs are URIs. Not all URIs are URLs. Okay, I probably shouldn't have asked... (laughs) It gets complicated, but yeah, it's basically what we come across on the net is a URI and it is a URL. Okay. I don't remember what the I stands for. (laughs) Okay. I think it might be indicator. Anyway, so URLs come in two forms. They can be like file paths, actually. This is very analogous to file paths in in Taming the Terminal. So you can either have an absolute URL, which specifies everything from soup to nuts, or you can have a relative URL, which obviously only has a meaning relative to another URL. So we're going to start with absolute, and then then we'll talk relative. So an absolute URL contains a whole bunch of information, actually. So it actually contains up to six pieces of information, some of which are optional. So... The the first piece of information is the protocol that the browser should use to actually fetch the data. This is usually known as a URL scheme. And in terms of the web, that's HTTP or HTTPS, generally. Okay. The second piece of information is the server that is hosting this information we're trying to get to. So that's either an IP address or a DNS name. And it's usually referred to as the host. So you have a URL scheme and a host. Then optionally, you can specify a port number. And you only have to do this if you're doing things non-defaulty. So by default, HTTP is on port 80 and HTTPS is on 443. But maybe for some reason you want your web server to run on a different port, in which case the URLs will have to contain the port number because otherwise the browser has no idea what on earth... You know, how do I talk HTTP in a different port? You have to tell us what port, yeah. otherwise it won't find I've it. seen that on very rare occasions. Somebody will have some weird colon and a number. Yeah, 8080 is kind of popular. Yeah. Ooh, that was a weird noise there for a second. Sorry, I think that's... It's uh, your vibration motor, isn't it? on my iPhone while we're trying to talk on Skype. Yeah, vibration motors are very loud when they're in your ear. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, it's probably also it's vibrating through the Mophie juice pack I had to put on because I oh. forgot my phone here overnight, and so it wasn't charged. So I just put on the Mophie juice pack. That may be it because it, I didn't hear the noise in the earlier recordings. Anyway, it stopped now, that. so it's all good. It did make me freak out for just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the third part is the port number. The fourth part 
we're go we call the path. Be careful, right? It looks like a file path. It it's some name, a name, and then it's zero or more names separated by a forward slash. And it looks an awful lot like a Unix or Linux file path, but it isn't one. It's a web path, and they're not the same thing. And just bear in mind that they're not the same thing, even if they look the same. We'll talk about them in a moment. That's what, anyway, the path exists. Okay. Then there is an optional query string. And this is something that will become really important later in the series. But for now, I'm going to say we shall ignore it. So consider it ignored. And then finally, a URL can have something called a fragment on the end or a fragment name. And this is a way of specifying a place within a web page as well as the web page itself. If that okay. makes sense. We'll, we'll see that with examples and that will hopefully make more sense. So you yeah, can imagine... That didn't make any sense just for... <laughs> okay, well, anyway. imagine the specification for HTML. That exists as a web page and it's huge. It's got lots of sections in it. A section for every tag and lots of other sections as well. So if you want to jump straight to the section on the P tag, it would be helpful to be able to specify that that's where you want to go and that's what the fragment is for. So it's like a bookmark within a page. Oh, 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 okay, fragment. Okay, so like um, if if I send you a link to a lovely comment on my blog mm -hmm. about uh, uh, an, an episode you were on, it'll mm -hmm. say hashtag, you know, comments. Yes, precisely. The hashtag specifies that what comes next is a fragment. And WordPress okay. inserts an anchor, as it's called, with the word comment as the start of the comment section. So if you yeah. put any post on Alison's site, hash comments, it will jump you right past the post straight down to the comment section. And that's a fragment in action. Oh, okay. Why don't they call them anchors? Well, I call them anchors and some, some people call them anchors, which is, will come, yeah, I'm going to use those two terms interchangeably because the URI, the URL specification says they're fragments and the tag you use is the anchor or the A tag, which is obviously for anchor. So no one seems to agree on the nomenclature. So we'll just use both words. Okay. Same so thing then. Okay. The, valid, the, the shortest possible valid absolute URL would look something like HTTP colon slash forward HTTP colon forward slash forward slash localhost forward slash, which is a URL scheme of HTTP, a host of localhost, no port specified, no path specified, no query string specified, and no fragment specified. Okay. We can start to bump up our thing a bit. We could add a path. Let's say we wanted to add the path my folder forward slash my file dot HTML. Then that URL becomes HTTP colon slash slash localhost forward slash my folder forward slash my file dot HTML. If we wanted to add a, frag a fragment called section one, we could same URL hash section one on the end. So that is the parts of a URL. So is, uh, have, am I making sense thus far? Yes. Yeah, I've got it. Okay. Now we need to mention that the, the path part and the, and the fragment part and the query string that we're ignoring, they can only contain a very small list of allowed characters. So the letters that have, so like A, B, C, D up to Z, digits, dashes, dots, and underscores, and everything else is verboten. So what if you actually want to specify something else, like maybe a space even, something that simple? Right. The answer is you have to URL encode 
all of these characters. And the URL encoding is a percentage sign followed by two pieces of hex. So the URL encoding for the space is percent Wait, two Wait, I zero. know this one. I know this oh. one. Percent uh, uh, 20, right? Correct. Percent two zero percent 20 is indeed the URL encoding for the space. I remember the first time I saw that, I'm like, what is that glop? And I kept erasing it, kept coming back. Yeah. Uh, there is a link in the show notes to a whole big list of all of these escape codes. Um, the list has two columns, one for Windows 1252 and one for UTF-8. We are living in the 21st century, so everything in this series is UTF-8. So okay. the exclamation point is percent %21, the dollar sign is percent %24, and they go on down to... The pound sign is percent %C2, percent %A3, because the pound sign is is not part of ASCII. Uh, copyright percent C2, percent A9. There's loads, like, it's a whole page with a very small scroll bar, and they're all do listed we have, here. Do we have to know them? No, you just go look them up. No, oh, okay. If you need them. And uh, to be honest, most of the time, you're not going to include, like, a pound sign in your file names. Right. So in reality, actually, you don't generally need these. Percent 20 is a very, very, very common one. And then, in fact, because space is so common, there's actually a shortcut for percent twenty. You can use the plus symbol to represent percent twenty. Oh, that's cool. It's very cool and very useful. So actually there's two URLs in the show notes, so localhost forward slash my percent twenty folder slash my percent twenty file is my plus folder, my plus file. They are identical. They're they effectively are the same URL. Yeah, I think it, something like that comes up a lot because using modern GUI operating system, people tend to put spaces in yep. file names. Yeah, we do. Even though it drives Dorothy nuts. She I, thinks it should be against the law. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a big believer in camel case and not having spaces in my file names. Oh, well, you and Dorothy are kindred spirits. She's always yelling at me when she catches me with... Uh, now, I'm not suggesting we outlaw it or anything, but yeah, I, I, I would avoid them myself. <laughs> I can tell you it would have made my life a lot easier in that Drobo transfer if I'd had the uh, if they didn't have spaces in the names. Yeah, because you had little backspaces to escape them on your terminal commands all over the place. I learned all about using the quotes instead. Well, the quotes instead is less evil, but still no spaces, life easier. That's the yeah. general rule for terminal people. Okay, now the next thing we need to talk about is these URL paths. I said they look like folder names, but they're not folder names. Because actually, every web server on the planet is free to interpret them in any which way they want to. But we're not using any web server on the planet. We're using a specific one. We're using Apache as part of MAMP. So how does Apache deal with these URL paths? So the the slash before the question mark or or the hash? Well, the answer is it treats them as relative file paths relative to the special folder called its document root, which is slash applications slash map slash htdocs. So the a URL with forward slash pbs1 forward slash is interpreted as being a folder called pbs1 inside this special folder inside the map folder. Okay. So MAMP does treat them, so Apache does treat them as file paths. But that's just Apache's choice. If you were using Apache Tomcat instead of the regular Apache, it would treat them as the names of Java packages. Like, different web servers can do completely different things with those bits with slashes between them. 
but Apache, in our case, is using them as relative file paths inside this special folder, which is our document root. So I'm a little bit lost. In, okay. in terms of understanding this from a generic perspective, why do we need to know what Apache is going to do with it versus if it was on a, um, what is the Windows equivalent to Apache? IIS. IIS, yeah. If it was on an IIS server on the internet, why do we need to understand what Apache is doing with it? Because we are using Apache. To so, create these little web pages. So we're yes. going to do things differently as a result? Yes. Well, or rather, yeah. Yeah, we would actually. Yeah, the things would be different if we were doing this in IIS, unfortunately. But that's the truth of it. So the reason I'm giving Apache special mention is because that's what we're using. So when we are looking at URLs of our examples, this is how they work. So every okay, example... Th- these people could also be using WAMP or LAMP to follow along with this show and it would be the same. Yes, because the A in all of those is, is Apache. Right. Okay, good. Yes. Gotcha. It's only if you're going to use something like Jetty or Tomcat or IIS or JBoss or there are a lot of web servers out there. I, I could list them for quite some time, but I'm not going to. They all get to define their own rules. They all get to do their own thing. And some of them do very exotic things. Okay. So anyway, I just want to say it's not, it is not the case that a URL always maps to a file like it does here for Apache in a nice, sane, sensible way. Some of them are weird. Now, there's another thing Apache does for us. So if the path bit of our URL maps to a folder instead of a file, it actually goes and looks for specially named files that it will then allow to handle that request. And specifically, it looks for index.html first. And then if it doesn't find an index.html, it looks for an index.php. If it doesn't find an index.php, it will just invent its own and it will basically create on the fly, some HTML for a list of all the files in the folder. But this is why in all of our examples, so in PBS 1, 2, 3, 4, we have always called the file index.html. Okay. And the URL has always been just the name of the folder. So for PBS 1, the example was forward slash PBS 1 forward slash, and we just didn't specify a file. And Apache knows that if you don't specify a file, it's index.html that you want. Okay. Okay, so just, that makes sense. Yeah, so I just want to explain that magic, because it's not magic. Yeah, I wonder why sometimes you'll see index.html, and when I copy somebody's URL, I just take that off, because I just like, well, that's superfluous. Why are they telling me that? So, But this explains that it goes in that folder and looks for that file mm-hmm. first. Yes. And it will do them in order. So you could, if you wanted to, you could reconfigure Apache to look for myfile.html instead of index.html, but don't do that kind of thing. That will just confuse everyone. Okay. And some web servers, IIS, I think, will look for index.htm as well as index.html. MAMP does not look for htm. So if you call it index.htm, it won't work. Oh, interesting. Okay. So there you go. Okay, so that is how URLs, full URLs, absolute URLs work and how they work in Apache. So the next thing then is this whole concept of a relative URL. So the important thing to get in your mind is like when you're in the file system, a relative file path only makes sense relative to your present working directory. A relative URL only makes sense relative to the URL of the page that contains the relative URL. Can I put this in terms that uh, other people will understand? 
It's yes, like please. in Excel where you can say, uh, I want to go to cell B7, mm-hmm. or you can say, I want to go relative to this location. I want to go two over and four down. <laughs> yes. So every page has a URL, and if it contains a relative URL, then that relative URL is relative to its actual URL. Right? Right. right. So a relative URL makes no sense in isolation. It's meaningless unless it's relative to something. And the something is the current URL of the web page that you're on. Okay. Okay. So there are many different flavors of relative URL. We are going to look at three because they're the three we're going to use in this series. So the first is the most generic type, which is relative to the path part of the URL. So that means that the URL must start with any character that's not a URL scheme a forward slash, a question mark, or a hash symbol. In other words, the vast, 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 vast majority of relative URLs fall into this category. It's something like myfile.html or myfolder slash myfile.html. They're all, they're, they start with not a special character is the basic okay. rule. So am I making, it's a hard thing to say, but I hope that makes sense. Yeah, say, say one more time about, so you're saying it doesn't start with a slash, a question it's, mark, or, or a hashtag. Or it doesn't start with HTTP colon or HTTPS colon. Because anything that starts with the URL scheme is obviously absolute, right? Oh, okay. Okay, got you, got you, got you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let us say that we ha- we are at the URL localhost forward slash my plus folder forward slash my plus file dot HTML. And we give right. the relative URL my plus other file dot HTML. Where do you think that right. would take us? I'm cheating because I'm reading the show notes, <laughs> but I'm not sure I would have gotten that on my own. Okay. So it is relative to the folder you're in is how you should look at it. Okay, so if you were on the terminal, that would work that way too. Are. Yeah. Okay. So it's, we were in localhost slash my plus folder mm-hmm. in, and we were looking at the file, my plus file yep. HTML. But since we, then we were told to look at my other file HTML. It's going to stay in the same folder, but that'll just be appended to the end. So it'll be localhost slash my folder slash my other file. Correct. So with these kind of relative URLs, the scheme stays the same. The the host stays the same. The port, if it was there, stays the same. And then you start to do your calculation for what to change. Okay, that makes sense. The other thing you can use, which is, again, very, very, very like file systems, is dot dot. You can you, you can have a relative URL starting with dot dot, which represents the parent folder. So if we if we have our same starting point, so localhost forward slash my folder forward slash my file dot html, if we say dot dot slash some file dot html, we actually go back a level, and so we're now at localhost slash some file dot html. Okay, good. Uh, for a second there, I thought you were going to say it didn't it stayed where it was, but you're nope. right. It goes up a folder. Yes. Because that's what it would do if we were in, in Linux and we said CD space dot dot. That means to go up a level. Correct. So the dot dot right. works okay. as you would expect. It goes up one slash, up one okay. named bit. Okay. So they're the most generic type of relative URLs. The second type I want to mention is URLs that are relative to the host. And they start with a forward slash. So what that means is the scheme stays the same. The host name stays the same. The port number stays the same, and then everything else is replaced with whatever's in the relative URL. 
Okay, so you don't have to say go up and over and back down. You just say go over there, but you're still on this host. Yes. You're still on this port, uh, and you're still on the same URL scheme. Exactly. Okay. And then the last one is a local fragment. These URLs start with the hash symbol, and they mean that the scheme stays the same, the host stays the same, the port stays the same, the path stays the same. The only thing that changes is your fragment within that file. Okay. So, again, that's back to our uh, pound comments. You're yeah, so section on one. Yeah. dot com slash four, you know, NC four eighty five slash, or, but then it'll be uh, actually no, there won't be another slash. So it'll just be mm-hmm. the hashtag then, right? Correct. And so the relative URL, if it starts with a hash, it's interpreted as a fragment within the current page. So you have to give the page first, and then the hash, and then the the uh, fragment name. Okay. Right, but if you're doing it as a relative, that URL, actually helps it's a just, lot. That's yeah. something that always confused me. Okay, good. So there are the three types of relative URL we are going to use. You could do others. You can have one starting in question mark. I'm just not going to confuse people with those. Leave those out. These are the three types we are going to talk about for the series. I can really tell that I'm going to come back to this and refer to this page. Uh, you know, Having gone through the, the Drobo experiment I did, I can't tell you how valuable the Taming the Terminal series was because I knew that I could just find it. I, I knew I could go to barbie.ie slash ttt, look for the name of the episode that talked about... Uh, you know, whatever it was I was looking for, and I go, boom, right in, there's the command, good, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, right. Show this notes is... are not to be ever underestimated, the value. And this is going to be one of those episodes for this series, because the URL is just so important to the web. So understanding them is critical, and that's what this post is all about. Great. Okay, so that's the hard part, right? This is the hardest thing we're going to do today, and from here on, everything gets easy. Good. So, the next concept is this idea of a of an attribute inside an html tag and attributes have a name and they have a value and they're of the form name equals value and the value is always inside double quotation marks so quote you know the the two dashes not the one dash and they go into the opening tag not the closing tag right so the generic form would be angle bracket name of tag space name of attribute equals value inside the quotation marks, space, name of other attribute equals value, close the angle bracket, whatever is inside your tag, and then your closing tag at the end. Okay. Which is way easier to read than for what you for people to hear, I bet. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I've just noticed I have a typo that I have copied and pasted all across my show notes for the IMG tag. I will fix that before people listen to this. Okay, so... We are now set up to learn about two new tags today. And the first of them is the image tag, or IMG. So what all that Gloppy just read out, I think it's going to get easier when it's not things like tag name, name, value. Yep. It's going to be better when you read these out, I hope. <laughs> yeah, the worked examples are where this will all come together. Okay. So the IMG tag allows you to insert an image. And the IMG tag is one of these audible tags. It is not a block level tag, and it is not an inline tag. It is something called an inline block tag. Oh, come on. I, I, I don't, don't make this up. This. <laughs> so, I had almost gotten those two straight. Well, when we get onto CSS, it'll become clear why this guy is such an oddball, because an image is a giant big square of some shape, right? It's going to be a rectangle of some shape. So that makes it a block level tag. Only it sits inside the content as if it was a letter. 
as if it was a giant letter. So the way you imagine it is that your whole image is a giant letter. And that's how the browser will interpret it. Oh, here's a way to remember that. You know, in the in the really old books where, like, if the first word in a paragraph and a new chapter started with an S, it would mm-hmm. be this giant S as an image, like, real colorful and flowery looking. And yeah. It would say I-N-C-E for since. Yes, exactly. So that is actually how they're treated. Now, okay. until we learn CSS, we're not going to have a lot of power over the positioning of the images, and we can't make them do fancy stuff like wrapping nicely around the text. But when we go on to CSS, we are going to revisit images very heavily because CSS lets us do a lot of stuff we can't, we, we, we're not going to do without it. Wait a minute. I do all that in HTML on podfeed.com. I painstakingly not fully. tell it to wrap and I painstakingly tell it the margins and all that on every HTML and every image tag. Yeah, you're doing that using CSS because it's style equals is the attribute. Mm. okay so, that's cheating okay you're I will cheating. talk ahead then yes um, so the IMG tag or the image tag as I'm going to call it because it's easier to say requires two attributes and there's a third one I'm going to tell you about because it's useful so you must have an S or C or source attribute and that should contain the URL to the image and it can be relative or absolute so in this example, uh, just for the audience, I mm-hmm. will uh, upload an image to my web server so I know what the URL of that is. Then I go back and I say, okay, I'm going to have an image source equals and then quote and this URL he's talking about. Yeah, so copy-paste. <laughs> Close quote. Exactly. The next one is one that you, Alison, of all people are going to be very passionate about, the alt attribute, which stands for yes. alternative text. Now, this should be text describing the image and it is there for two reasons it is there for browsers that do not for text only browsers like link that we discovered or links that we discovered in taming the terminal and most importantly in the modern world it is there for screen readers the blind or the visually impaired utterly depend on this tag or this attribute without it they cannot follow along what you're doing so According to the spec, it's optional, but very, 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 very highly recommended. My advice to you is consider it required. Don't consider it optional. And secondly, don't just have it present. Have it meaningful. So logo is a terrible alt text. Podfeet logo is a useful alt text. Button is the world's worst alt text. (laughs) Home button is useful. Yeah, you want to make want to make a blind person crazy? Name things button. Yeah, it's, especially in uh, when you do that in programming on iOS, because there are if it is a button and you called it button, then what they hear is button 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 button. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm torn. Some tools make it easy uh, to enter the alt tag, like uh, I think Feeder does this now, and it didn't used to be mandatory in Feeder to have an alt mm-hmm. tag. And I talked Steve Harris into making it mandatory. Yay. You're not allowed to post without one. But then he kind of backed off and he had it create one. So if the name of your image was logo.png, then it's going to say, How, do you want us to just call that logo? And you can hit, you can just say okay and move on. Same thing happens with um, Mars Edit. Yeah. Is it just puts in whatever the name of the, the, the file, file was. But luckily, my images often have a good name. They say things like, you know, uh, Tenba DNA eight messenger bag dot PNG, 
but they may not. They might just say Tenba. And so I'll overwrite that and write what it really is. Here it is full of crap. Here it is closed with the two images I just posted, in fact. Yeah. Um, what I will do is I'll say, you know, Tenba bag as described. And I feel okay doing that because yeah. my, my blog is super extensive that is describing what people are seeing in that image. I exactly. Yeah, because I mean, the image appears within a context. So by all means, the alt tag can reference the outside context. Like, that's fine. Yeah, because the screen reader is going to pick that up. Exactly. As long Did as you tell I really was passionate about that audience? <laughs> yeah, but it's really important. And I completely agree with you on this that the people who leave out alt tags are naughty people. Yeah. Include the everybody. So the last attribute I'm going to mention is one that is not needed on every image, but it can be useful to know about, and it's the title attribute. And this is used yeah, I to... I don't get this one at all. Okay, I so... I don't the... understand it. What is it? The, the title text is the text that will appear in a tooltip when you hover over the image. Okay. So sometimes that makes sense to have it be there, but a lot of times it doesn't make sense. And so only use it if it makes sense. And you shouldn't use it instead of the alt text, and you shouldn't make it the same as the alt text, right? It doesn't make sense to have a title of Podfeet logo on the Podfeet logo, because if I'm not, if I'm blind, I've read the alt text, and it tells me it's your logo. And if I can see, well, I can see that it's the Podfeet logo. Why do I need a tooltip? Let me give you an example where I did use it that I think was a good use. Um, I used a Creative Commons uh, image of a giant frowny face last mm-hmm. week. And the uh, I read the license agreement for the image, and it said you have to give attribution. Mm-hmm. And I have yet, and I'm hoping through my CSS lessons upcoming, that I'll learn how to put a little uh, text underneath an image that aligns properly, because mm-hmm. for the life of me, I can't get that to work. So I use the title. Perfect. So if you hover over it, then you would get the, uh, creative, the Creative Commons license information that says this was created by the Media Commons people. Perfect. That is, is that exactly what it's for. Perfect. Oh, Textbook. good, good. The example they actually give on the official spec is, for example, copyright information. Oh, <laughs> I got lucky then. Yep. I just got desperate because I couldn't figure out how to do, how to do it. <laughs> yes. So that is what the title text does. It just makes those little hoverovers. Don't feel you have to use them. Just use them when they add something. Probably my favorite use of them is the XKCD webcomic, where <laughs> there's an extra hidden joke for the true nerds in the hover text. Okay. Okay. Do those work in in? Uh, I don't think those work in iOS, do they? It all depends on how people decide to implement. So you might implement your touch-based browser. That if you touch on it, it'll pop up the text. It's it's kind of up to the browser to decide what to do with the title attribute. Yeah. The I'm HTML spec just says it's there, mine. and the browser gets to decide what does that mean for me. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work on uh, Safari on iOS. Try Is touch I'm... and hold. Okay. I'm just Angry guessing Gnome here, Angry Gnome Face, courtesy of Gnome Icon Artists. There you go. So that's okay. that's how it's exposed in a touch-based br- on, on iOS's touch-based browser. So again, it's okay. up to the browser how it exposes the title, but the default behavior of title on a desktop is hover text. Okay, cool. Something else we should mention is that you can specify the width and height of an image. Now, a web browser is not psychic. So a web browser, when it's rendering a HTML page, it sees an image tag. It then has to go read the URL, fetch the URL, and only after it's done all that does it know what size it is. So if it's re- if it's rendering a web page, it has to sort of guess how much space to leave while it goes off and fetches the image and continues drawing the text and stuff underneath. 
And then when it gets the image and knows how big it is, it has to reflow everything, rejigger it so it all fits again. And that's inefficient. And in the olden days, when our bandwidth was slow and our CPUs were slow, this was not just inefficient, but wildly inefficient. Because browsers would either grind to a halt reflowing the page, or worse still, wait and do nothing until the image is downloaded and then continue rendering the page. The way okay. around that is that you ha- there are attributes called width and height, which you can use to tell the browser how big of a space to leave. And then it will can just I make one slight on. correction? Just yes. because it will really matter since people will be typing this. Height is not a word, it's height. Because if they spell a height, it's not going to work. It's H-E-I-G-H-T, isn't it? Yeah, but there's no H after the T. It's a pet peeve of mine when people say height. Oh, I see what you mean. I was going to say, I spelled it right. I've just looked at my show notes and it is definitely spelled right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they spell it with an H at the end, it's not going to work. That is true. Yes, I was trying really hard not to correct you, but I had to. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, so the width, which does have a H in the end, and the height, which doesn't have a H in the end. There you go. Now... It, today, it's not actually important unless you have a page with like 500 images, in which case it becomes important again because you have just undone the fact that our internet is way faster and our computers are way faster. But in the past, this was the difference between a web page that was evil to view and a web page that was really friendly to the user. So it was important. It's now not important unless you're going completely bonkers. But the width and height... Height... <laughs> Those two attributes are still useful because they can be used to scale an image. So imagine you have an image that's 300 pixels across and you want to show it at half size. You could specify a width of 150 and that would show it half size. If you only specify one dimension, the image is scaled proportionally. And if you specify both, the image is stretched. So it will exactly fit the rectangle. I would suggest people be careful of that, though. I've seen websites that load really slowly because mm-hmm. they used a giant image, and yes. then they're scaling it back, and so the server's having to calculate that every time. Well, it's not the calculate; it's a massive download every time. I so recently it's downloading saw the big image and then scaling it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so your browser has to scale it, which makes your browser work hard, and your internet has to download the whole thing. So that makes your internet slow. So yeah, the so very I next line I have is be very careful about scaling images in this way. It is very bandwidth inefficient. <laughs> I actually saw recently a web page that was just a one pager that had like a little bit of text, a background image, and that was it. And it was, when I did a view properties on it in Safari, it was 200 megs of a download for like some text. I was like, what the frig is going on? 180 meg of that was a massive 1500 DPI JPEG. That was then scaled. Oh, jeez. I know. Evil, 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 evil. So, yes, you know, if you want a thumbnail, create a thumbnail and upload a thumbnail. Don't scale the full-size image. That will not work the Ooh. way you want it to. I'm going to add another one that p- pulls back in the, uh, the alt tags, too. Mm-hmm. Don't make, go get a pretty cute font and write a bunch of stuff and then make it an image and put it on your website. Because guess what? Screen readers can't read that. Well, unless you type all of it into the alt tag yeah you can do that that's okay but i've seen this where websites are just they're just blank to a screen reader Thank- and it's because they didn't have these pretty fonts available thankfully the invention of web fonts has rendered that particular terrible approach obsolete good you can now have your cake and eat it you can have pretty fonts and be on the internet oh i don't know how to do that but okay maybe that's in css 
it's not even CSS. It's a whole separate technology called web fonts. Cool. It's a feature in modern browsers that didn't used to be there. It's kind of useful. Anyway, this brings us finally to a worked example. So you can download from the show notes, it says you can download here a zip file, which contains three files. It contains a file called index.html, and then it contains a file called smiley.png and photo.jpg. Can I do a PSA here? Please. So when Bart said it was a zip file, I said, no, it isn't. It downloaded right to my Mac. And he just said, "Uh uh-oh. Do you guys remember about 12 years ago when uh, Bart told us to go into Safari, Preferences, General, and uncheck the box that says... Let me give the exact example. Um, shoot, what is it? It's open safe images. Or open safe, safe files. files. Yeah. Open safe files on default. Well, I got a new Mac a while ago and forgot to change that. So yeah, uncheck open safe files after downloading. Then it will be a zip and you can open it because you know it's safe. Yes. So when you download the zip and it doesn't auto extract itself because you've made your changes to Safari if you're using a Mac, if you then copy those three files and put them in a folder called PBS5A inside your document root, then I've also included the code in the web page so that we can look at it here. So basically it's our standard HTML stuff at the top of the page. Then we have a header telling us this is an example with an image. And then it says in a paragraph, because images are treated as inline blocks, you can use them to put little smileys right into your text. And then we have an IMG tag, and the SRC is smiley.png. So what kind of URL is that? Ooh, that's relative. Correct. So in other words, it will find the file called smiley.png that's in the same folder as index.html. Then we have alt equals, and then we have the (laughs) smiley as text because that seemed to me the most realistic replacement of a smiley is a smiley. (laughs) Right? Okay. Right, right. And then to make the browser's life easier, we have width equals 16, height equals 16, because there's 16 pixels across these little smileys. Or rather, this exact smiley is 16 pixels. I think I always use full URLs. I don't use relative. I should think about that. Would that make it faster? That would make it faster. No, it wouldn't make it faster. And a reason not to on a blog is that an RSS reader, the RSS reader is not at your URL, so a relative URL will break. Okay. So something that you're going to read over or something. So basically, you should never use relatives inside the bit of your blog post before the more tag. Because that's what's going to be visible in RSS. Okay. But you can use them on the other bit because that will be viewed on the web page. Okay, gotcha. But there's a reason WordPress defaults to doing it the way it does. So obey WordPress. WordPress is correct in this case. But if you're hand coding a web page rather than writing a blog, then just use relative URLs because it's easier on you, the human. <laughs> okay. Right? All right. Okay. Then below that, we have another paragraph in our code. So below is an example of a larger image. This one uses a tooltip to specify some additional information about the image. So we have, in a separate paragraph all to itself, P, and then we have an IMG tag. The source is photo.jpg, relative link. The alt tag is a landscape photo. I could have got a bit more carried away there, but we'll leave it at that. (laughs) The title... I would have said river, a little fog in the background. Come on, Bart. Yeah, it's true. I could have got I could have done more there. The title is Copyright Bart Bush, that's twenty fourteen, and then the width is six forty <laughs> and the height is four two four. So that is okay. an example of everything we've learned. So that's our that's everything we've learned so far about images. 
in one example, if you have your server running, you've copied the files, if you go to localhost forward slash pbs5a, you should be able to see a picture with a heading, a paragraph, a smiley, a paragraph, and a picture. I have one question. Mm-hmm. Back to the width and height. Yes. Um, I've had a lot of cases where I, I uh, upload an image. I'm using Mars Edit. I'll upload an image, mm-hmm. and I've specified that I want it to be 400 pixels wide is usually what I pick as a limit, and then yes. it'll scale the other – Mars Edit will scale the other dimension for me. Great. And post it. I look, and I go, man, that's too big. Mm-hmm. I sit there with a calculator – and I say, okay, I want to do 300. Now I've got the other dimension is 124 mm-hmm. pixels. I got to go, okay, three quarters of 124 is, and I type it in. Is there an easier way than that? Mm, I, well, you can either leave out the other dimension and allow the web browser to calculate it after it's downloaded the image. That oh, will right. give you the scaling, but it will not give you the advantage of it knowing how big of a gap to leave. But I think that's mm. fine today. Like, you know, that wouldn't have been a good idea for Google to put on their homepage, which is loaded 5 million times. But it's fine for you to do that on your own site on a modern today. It's perfectly fine. It's just leave out the other would, dimension. It would leave a 100 pixel gap around it? It would just... went from 400 to 300? No, it would probably just say, I have no idea how big this image is going to be, so I'm going to leave no space for it, let it download, and then insert it and move everything down later. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, you ever see that when a web page is loading that everything is jumping around all the time? Yeah. That's because yeah. it's having to re to, to insert images that didn't have a width and height. Oh, okay. If you always That's one give... thing I liked about feeder Sorry. I was gonna say if you always give both dimensions on every single image, your web page will never jump around like that when it's loading. Okay. I uh I that's one thing I liked about feeder better is I could go back into feeder and I could uh change one dimension and it would change the other one for me yeah so that's feeder choosing to do the math for you yes must speak to the uh, author of mars edit about that important issue <laughs> i told him i told him when i started using his tool i think his name's daniel i told him uh, that that steve harris sent me over because he got tired of dealing with me <laughs> it's daniel Jelcut, isn't it might be might be i think anyway yes okay <laughs> Okay, so the next thing we're going to learn about is links and anchors, and I've just realized another typo in the show notes. I will fix the heading, because we have two headings with the same name, which looks very silly. That won't be true when you guys read it. Okay, so the same tag is used for two functions. It's used to define the existence of one of these fragments or anchors, and it's used to actually act as a clickable link to other pages. The same bloody tag. I would love to meet the person who came up with that idea and tell them how silly they are. But alas, it is too late. And that tag is the A tag, and A stands for anchor. Oh. Now, that's... I was going to say the A is for anchor as a mnemonic, but it's not much of a mnemonic because no one thinks of anchors when they're thinking of links. They think of chains. They think of all sorts of things. They don't think of anchors. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. Well, an anchor is at the end of a link of chain. Probably, unless it's at the end of a cable. But anyway... Um, it is the A tag for better or worse I would argue for worse but it is so that is that and we must live with it so the first use case is creating a clickable link that will take us to somewhere else on the internet and you do that by having an A tag with the href attribute defined so if the href attribute is there it is a clickable link and what what you want sorry uh, I think it's a hypertext referral. 
Ah, okay. I always think of it as horizontal reference, and that doesn't mean anything, and I just get confused. And now I put it in all your brains, too. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, so hypertext referral. Okay. Let's try override or overwrite the uh, current content of that cell of your brain. (laughs) So whatever is between the A and the slash A will become the clickable text. So you just start an A tag, give it the href attribute. The value should be the URL you want to go to. And then whatever goes inside the A tag is the clicky text. And of course, the URL can be relative or absolute, depending on your preference. So I want the NoCell Castaways to appreciate that I always change the link text to be something human readable. So if the if the URL is, you know, H-E-B colon slash slash podfeed.com slash blah, 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 you know, pound sign, whatever. I just write podfeed.com in that for the link text. Excellent. Uh, you can also add a tooltip that will come up when you hover over the link using the title oh, yeah. attribute. I did not know that. So oh. There you go. And you can also add the special attribute and value pair target equals quote underscore blank quote to ask the browser politely to open the link in a new window. And it will be up to the browser to decide what it will do. And a modern browser will interpret that as, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a new tab. I use that all the time. In fact, I wrote to Daniel of Mars Edit because <laughs> it's not in the uh, in the URL link, the automatic one. Yeah. And he showed me how to make my own custom uh, link with a keystroke, which was cool. Uh, but what I do that because I may reference something on somebody else's site, but I want you to be able to get right back to where you were. So yeah. I don't want you to, to lose me, if you will. My rule of thumb is that if I'm linking to something on my site, I won't put it in. And if I'm linking to something not on my site, I will. Yeah, sometimes I'm saying something like, well, back on episode 237... Hmm. Well, I want you to be able to get back here because maybe you're going to want to go check it, but you don't want to live there. Yeah, it's yeah. There's no right answer, honestly. Yeah, very useful. It's very that's useful. Equals very useful. And that's kind of all there is to links. It's very straightforward uh, because we know what URLs are. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is creating one of these named fragments or anchors, and you do that by not specifying the href attribute. And by instead specifying the name attribute. So name equals and then the name of this anchor. And the point in the page it will point to is the point where you put this tag. So if you want to... I have never gotten this into my head, Bart. I I can read it and I can execute it once. And then the next time I try to do it, I can't remember how to do it. And I have to look it up again. So I finally gave up. Well, it's a name equals, and it makes no sense to have an anchor have content. So it's an opening and closing tag at once. So a name equals blah slash. But where does that go? Does that go where the anchor goes or where you're referring to the anchor? It goes to the part in the page you would like people to arrive at when they go to hash, whatever the name is. So this is the destination you're defining. So this, so if at the top of the page... I say, later in the show, we're going to talk about anchors. Mm-hmm. I Up there, I would put a name equals anchors. No, no. no. Nope. Up there, you See, would put a normal fine. link, right? Because you're actually trying to go somewhere. And where you want to arrive is where you create the fragment. Okay. So right before, I shouldn't have used the word anchor. Later in the show, we're going to talk about plants. Mm-hmm. So I would say a name equals, quote, plant, unquote. You would put that later in the show. Later in the show. You would put okay. that 
just before the heading tag that says plant. Okay, so how do I tell them to go there up at the top? With a link, right? So you would say ahref equals hash, then whatever name you later give it, and then whatever oh, text. Because I can do I can do relative because right. it's in the same page. Correct. So all that would be in the mm. href is the relative URL hash symbol name of your anchor slash fragment. That might stick. Hopefully. So we have another example to try and make this make sense. And this example is, again, downloadable as a zip. And this zip contains two files, one called index.html and one called, very imaginatively, anotherfile.html. Download them, extract them, and put them into a folder called pbs5b. And then you can get to them at the URL localhost forward slash pbs5b. And so when you were... Both of these have their, their actual folders come up. So I don't think you have to create the folders. They do, actually. But as I say, what you want to end up with is that folder with that name in the right place with those two files. How you get there is is entirely up to you. So what you'll notice is, so this is a heading tag and a bunch of paragraphs. And at the start of each header, just before each header, before each H2, I have added an anchor. So A name equals absolute. And then we have H2, absolute links. Links can contain absolute URLs. And then there's a sample of a link that goes to my blog, which has a title and a target. So it's just ahref uh-huh. equals http colon slash www.bartb.ie title equals Bart site target equals underscore blank. So if you hover over that link, it'll say Bart site. And if you click on it, it'll open a new tab and it will go to my site. And it says, notice that the link opens my homepage with a new tab. And then we have another and remember, these are invisible as you're creating these um, sh- uh, fragments or anchors. A name equals relative. Immediately followed by H2, relative links. Relative links can come in many different forms. Relative links can be relative to the host. For example, assuming you haven't deleted it yet, I can actually create a link to the PBS1 examples by simply saying ahref equals slash PBS1 slash because that means that the local host bit stays the same, and after that, we put in our new bit. See what we've done there? Yeah, yeah, because it's gone up and back down. Yeah, but we haven't gone down. We've just gone, this is relative to the host. By starting it with the slash, I have said this is relative to the host. Oh, oh, you're right, right, right. That's not the dot, dot kind. It's yeah. the just slash. It's relative yeah, yeah. to the host, yeah. Links can also be relative to the path, and then we get into the kind. So we have, for, for example, ahref equals another file.html, which goes to a, which is a relative link to that file in the current folder. Okay. Right. And then we say relative links can also point to fragments or anchors. And then we have one called ahref equals hash fragments. And then just below that, we actually define where that goes to. So we have a <laughs> name equals fragments, h2 fragments or anchors. And then we have an example of this concept of if you have a big long report and you have sections, you might want to an- you might want to link to anchors for each section. So we define a list of links to section one and section two, which have the relative URL hash sec one and hash sec two. And then below that, we actually create a name equals sec one h three section one some gibberish, followed by a whole bunch of Laura Mispum. Then we have a name equals sec two h three section two some more gibberish, followed by some more Laura Mispum. And so that has created our clickable index. You see how that's working? So that's the two halves of yeah. the equation together there. Yeah, I do. And just so that people listening know, I tried to do this back when I had the giant blog of doom. 
<laughs> uh, trademark Donald Burke. I, <laughs> uh, I tried to do this because I knew that there'd be times where like, okay, I know she talked about this camera bag. I want to jump to the camera bag. And I yes. tried to put little links up at the top of these. And it's like, oh my God, it took forever. I, I could do it, but it was so hard. I didn't. Yeah. So I knew about this just so you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but this is what I'm saying. So here's an example of it working with the, you know, which order it should go and how it should be, basically. So, I think uh, if I had been better at text expander back then, I would have done it with text expander, and that would have worked. Probably, actually, yeah, because you just create a little bloop bloop, and away it goes. Right. Well, and you could leave your cursor with it with a tool, a tip telling yourself type in the stupid name of the stupid paragraph here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, you can do all that kind of stuff. So the last thing then, so that's. That's the first of the two example files. And the second example file, which is linked to in the first example, is a very, very short HTML page with the header, another file. And it has a paragraph that says, welcome to another file. And then it has the informative piece. So we have another paragraph that says, click here to jump back to the relevant section in the real example file. So what we have here is a relative URL that also contains a fragment. So the ahref is index.html hash relative. Oh, that's tricky. Okay, so it doesn't start with a URL scheme. It doesn't start with a slash. It doesn't start with a hash. So it means it's a regular relative URL. So it's going to go to the file called index.html that's in the same folder as this file. And it's going to jump to the fragment called relative. I think I understand that. Phew. Good, because that is right. <laughs> that is the tester question, right? If that makes sense, then this has gone click. As long as people look at the show notes. As long as people look at the show notes. And again, you can follow along by actually clicking, you know, opening the files and clicking on the links and watch yourself being moved over to another file and then watch yourself come back to the right part of the first file. Right, right, right. Well, well can that... we go to CSS yet? Yes, we are now ready. Yay! Yay! Not today, though. <laughs> I think we have probably given everyone enough to digest for today. So we have now done the basics of HTML to the point where we can define what is on a page. So this is a heading, this is a paragraph, this is a link, this is an image, this is a list. All of that we can now define. And so at the moment, all of our examples look like white pages with black text in a bloody serif font because it's as if it's the 1970s or something. <laughs> And it's not very pretty, right? But that has now set the stage perfectly for CSS because we're going to learn next how to use CSS to change this so it looks modern and normal or pleasant at the very least. Or at least we can change it. So if we have bad taste, we can make it look horrible, right? We're making pink <laughs> text on a green background if you like. Some animated GIFs too? No, that's on CSS. No, we can do that actually, unfortunately, with what we've learned today. If you really, really, really want an animated GIF, you now have the power. <laughs> with all with a great power comes great responsibility though yes exactly and if you put an animated fish and a pink background with green text i will not visit your webpage, or i will visit it very briefly i love it i love it all right well i am really looking forward to the next step of this I, and, and this didn't feel too bad like uh you know eating too many vegetables but i'm excited about css excellent well that's it all set then so uh until whenever that is i presume a week or two weeks or something sometime in the future until then happy computing
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is an unsponsored show, so if you like what you hear, you can help support the show by using the Amazon affiliate link over on podfeed.com. Heck, put a review up in iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast too. I love feedback, so please do write to me at allison at podfeet.com and join in the conversation with other listeners in our Google Plus community at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.